Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Firstly, Merry Christmas to you. Hope you enjoyed your Christmas. Um, in today's episode, we have Paul Elliott and James talking about our victory against QPR at home and the impressive 2-1 victory away to West Ham. Two victories in a short space of time is only a good thing this time of year, uh, especially with the injuries we have. It was made even more difficult when we played for 10 men for a decent amount of time against QPR and the players had to dig deep, as they say. Yeah, so we didn't, couldn't conserve much energy, couldn't rotate as much as perhaps we wanted to. But um, two wins out of two, you, you know, two wins out of two is the best you could ask for, really. And no injuries, of course. That seems to be what we have. Touch wood. Yeah, you know, the victory against QPR, it could have been a lot easier than it was, as I, as I said. We made it hard for ourselves. We weren't at our best, but we didn't really need to be, really. Uh, we had the game under control. Couldn't finish off the game, obviously, when it went to 2-1. Anything could have happened, really, but we, we hung on. And they put going into too much detail about that because all we needed to do was win that one. Uh, well, West Ham, uh, I really enjoyed that game. Uh, the reason, partly why, not just because of our, our football in patches, but it was nice to see a first-choice back four, or well, almost first-choice back four. At least we had two centre-backs, you know, a right-back and left-back, rather than, you know, chopping and changing, as we have done all season. It's, it's not been many times we've had to actually played more or less a full-strength back four. The only question mark would be like Monreal over Gibbs, but you know um, we, were, we were pretty tough, and, and having Matthew Flamini and uh, Francis Coquelin ahead of them as well, you know that's 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 quite a strong a strong unit. Not only that, but having Welbeck and Sanchez in your team, you've got you know two hardworking strikers in attack, pressing and closing down. So I expected our defense to to be much improved, and I thought it was. Um, what I thought was quite noticeable was that every high ball that went into the box, our keeper went for the ball and went to claim the ball every time. And I think that was I think that was intentional. Uh, it seemed to be anyway. I think that was to stop the threat of Andy Carroll. And um, obviously, playing, a, playing against a fat Sam team, that they're going to be putting a lot, a lot of balls in the box and trying to get knockdowns and in and amongst us that way. So I thought we dealt with that really well. I thought Bocoscioni... Swoon and Permatasaka were really good in the air, and Debushi as well for the most part. Obviously, he lost out to the goal, but um, he's really strong in the air. I think the stats prove that as well. So yeah, against that sort of team, we we're going to be be under a lot of threat in the air. So we done really well with that. But but what I liked about that was that West Ham had quite a lot of the ball, put a lot of pressure on us, but but we defended really well as a team. And even though we weren't in the game going forward, we felt strong. And you thought. You know, if we can hold out through long periods like this, then we're going to get. There's going to be a time in the game where it turns in our favour. We get the ball and we cause them problems. And that's what happened. Um, I don't know what, why there's a big question mark on Santi's penalty. Like West Ham players were furious, and like, like, like even match of the day and Sky and stuff, they're like questioning it. Well, surely, you know, he it gets Reed. Reed stuck his leg in the air. You can see it quite clearly. He's holding his leg in the air to stop him from running on. He trips him over. So, so why is there a question mark about that? Isn't that just obvious? But 
Oh, and I, I missed out on the Alex Song strike as well. Question marks on that as well. It's gone through the striker's legs, like, to go in the goal. Surely, surely he's in. He's interfering with play. You, you can't have a strike, go past one striker right next to him and through another striker's legs and expect that to be okay. He's offside. That's it. That's an Arsenal attack. And um, Giroud jumped over... Alexis's shot or something, it'll be offside. Why is it a big thing? I don't know. That annoyed me. But um, yeah, two really good calls. I mean, you know, I should I say really good calls. They were the right calls. You know, it seems strange now that we like get excited and, and applaud the right calls. That's that's what it's been like in Premier League this year or a lot of years. Like, yeah, there's a right call. Well done. Well done, official. You actually made the correct decision. You've done your job. But yeah, maybe I'm biased, but a lot of decisions like that seem to go against us rather than for us. So um, I get kind of kind of excited and I do a little dance whenever we whenever there's the right decision. And um, yeah, I thought I, I thought we um, we played we played the game really well, defended well, and uh, when we had the ball, we we broke quite effectively as well. We scored a second goal, and at two one, we we really should have finished the game off. And you know, players like Ox and Welbeck have really got to become more clinical. No, perhaps they they will in time. Maybe they will. They're still quite young players, especially. But you know, we, when you're one on one with a keeper again and again and again, you've got to make it count because, you know, at, at that point at two one, when when we was missing chance after chance in the break, I could just hear Arsene Wenger post match saying, "Had chances to kill the game," and that's our big regret today. And I didn't, didn't want to hear that. Please, don't let that happen because we'll be kicking ourselves. But luckily. We held on, and they had a few half chances at the end, and they could have scored, but we had many chances we should have scored ourselves. So, very pleasing. Two ends out of two, six points. We've closed the gap a lot now. All the teams above us yesterday dropped points. So, um, that's good. Southampton away next. That's tough. We can, if, we, if we win that, then you know we're in good shape. Uh, players coming back soon as well, but that's going to be a tough one, I think, because, because they're so good defensively at home. It's going to be quite hard to break them down. We might have to play them the same way, really. I think. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, rambled on enough now. I'm going to let the boys take it away because um, because their their insights are a lot more thorough than mine. Uh, so enjoy that, and I will see you on the next podcast. Santa leaves two victories under the tree for Arsenal. We are coming to you almost directly after the West Ham victory, but we are also going to cover the glory and uh, extreme enjoyment that was the QPR game as well. Briefly, you are listening to the Arsenal Vision post-match, or in this case, post-matches podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and as ever, you can follow or unfollow me at Yankee Gunner on Twitter. I am joined uh, once again by the delightful and ever-optimistic James. You can find him at GoonerFanatic49 on Twitter. James, good day to you. Hello. Happy holidays to the both of you. And the same to you. And I am joined once again by the man who continues to do things in his pants. On Twitter, you can find him at PoznanInMyPants, uh, and you can ask him what kinds of things he likes to do in his pants. Paul, welcome back. Woohoo! All right. That has become your signature welcome. Actually, your your woohoo, the uh, the Paul woohoo. You need to trademark that. Um, all right. Well, there's a lot of reasons for woohooing. Most of them related to a huge win today uh, at West Ham in in a in a 
what could have been a really tricky fixture and was a tricky fixture by the end. Um, we're going to get to that in a moment, but we're going to rewind back to the uh, slightly more dour and less enjoyable but equally um, point-accruing QPR match just briefly. Uh, Paul, just start with you just really quickly, since I don't want to get into the minutiae of QPR. Anyone who stood out for you as brilliant in the game and anything you want to add about the Giroud red card, um, for you, was that a game that was worth analysis or sort of a situation where during a busy period you just be thankful for the three points, you know, be happy you got away with it and move on? Um, given that we have another result in the meantime, I've definitely moved into the moving on and just kind of what are the hangovers from it. And the hangovers, of course, are the extra three points. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And the Giroud red card, which... Uh, cost us heavily that game in terms of energy expenditure and game management. You know, I think uh, Arson said it was 40 minutes. I don't know if that was quite right, but we'd uh, a good chunk of the end of that game working super hard. Um, and I hope it doesn't cost us over the four games. Um, you know, QPR now uh, today's game and two more to go. Southampton away is going to be tiring. So for me, the energy expenditure and in terms of the player personnel that, who stood out. Obviously, the one that hits you in the face is uh, Rosicki coming back. Uh, you know, we've all been saying, where where is he between little niggly injuries and just been on the bench? And he said he wanted to uh, show the boss that he should be picking him and uh, he had a heck of a game. Um, probably the only... I think it's fair to say QPR, QPR weren't brilliant on the day. They were maybe a quarter of a... You know, like all these teams, they do try, but they were maybe a quarter of a yard off uh, for most of that game. It wasn't until we went... I mean, even when we were down to 10 men, we still gave them a damn good run for the money. So, um, you know, Rosicki certainly had a, a game and a nice goal. And um, uh, he came in instead of Oxley chamberlain who came back fresh today. And so that was a nice little bit of rotation. And... You know, when you look at the game today, we maybe had three or four players who were fresher than they would have been um, coming in today. So, you know, it's a, it's a four-game stretch. The reason to talk about QPR is it's part of a set of four games. But mm -hmm. now we're on to the next one. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, James, obviously <clears throat> the Giroud red card was a, a crucial moment in the match. Interestingly, I wonder, had Giroud not been red carded in that match would he have started against West Ham and how that might have impacted how we set up and our result against West Ham? We can get on to that when we get to that game momentarily. But just really quickly, um, how impressed were you by Rosicki, who now is back in the phantom zone? So he, he got out for his one-day furlough. Um, what did you think of Alexis Sanchez, you know, miss, missing a penalty but having the character to step up and provide really two decisive moments in the match? And overall... Uh, for you, was it a case of just getting out there with three points, or do you think there was more to that game than that? Yeah, I mean, much like Paul said now, especially with the three points in the bag from West Ham, um, you can look back at the QPR game and just be glad to have come away with three points at home. Um, it was great to see Thomas back, back in the side. He was full of energy, looked like he was really trying to prove a point, um, and he was definitely one of the better, better players on the field. Um, I think Arsene said that he was out of the squad today just because he picked up a, a, a slight tightness in his groin after when he came off. Um, 
Um, but yes, I mean, it's again, it's sort of a somewhat of a testament to the kind of depth that we do have in midfield. I know I, I do sort of try and lambast that point, perhaps a little too much. Um, Alexis was fantastic. Penalty aside, um, it was you know it was it was a strangely weak penalty from an otherwise very frantic and um, sort of fantastic performance from Alexis. He covered the pitch extremely well. It was just a sort of it typified Alexis in um, in every way, I guess. If you if you can remove that penalty for a, for a moment, the run uh, from the halfway line to to set up that Rosicki goal was fantastic, um, and obviously he got the open goal as well. Um, but I don't think you can draw too much from that game because we were looking particularly cosy um, going in at half time and as, right up until the, uh, the absolutely the sort of ridiculous and um, nonsensical headbutt from Olivier. And then that really turned the game on its head. But I think it's a testament to the team in some regards that even at 10 men up until we conceded a non-penalty, uh, that we still looked the better side. And then after that moment, we, we showed a level of resilience that sort of continued on into the game against West Ham. Yeah, I, I mean, look, ultimately, considering all the things that Arsenal have been criticized for this season, and most of it well-deserved, um, winning the game is... <laughs> is enough for me to be willing to just kind of put it all aside. I joked on Twitter, you know, that ordinarily I'd have a moan about that performance, but in the spirit of the holidays, I was just going to take the three points and be thankful. And I think that kind of is what you have to do during the holiday fixture period, the holiday program, because it's so frenzied and so hectic and so trying, and it does produce strange results. We saw a couple of them today throughout the league. We saw Burnley come back from a two-goal deficit to draw Man City. So I I think sometimes – you just be thankful that it was 2-1 and not 2-2 or 2-3. Um, but let's get on to the game that I think was much more significant. Um, in some ways, you know, uh, a lot more impressive. Well, in, a, in many ways, a lot more impressive. The West Ham game. This was one where I, I have to admit I didn't expect us to get anything from the game, especially considering the players that we had available to us, the the lineup that we selected, Francis Coughlin coming back into the starting eleven. If you want to use cliches, watching this game, it looked like we wanted it more. This was one of the most intense performances I've seen by Arsenal this season, just in terms of urgency, intensity, players flying around, diving to block shots, um, and just a lot of tremendous effort and energy at both sides of the pitch. And that really impressed me. Um, James, stay with you for a second. Before we dive into the specific incidents, uh did you have a man of the match? Um, I, it felt very much to me at times like, I know this is cliche again, like a, a team performance, but did someone stand out for you? Um, yeah, I mean, as you said, it, it, it did come across as a very team team and sort of unified performance. But for me, Santi came across as the man of the match just in in a lot of the key moments in the game. He And in the final third of the field, he was, he was the one that a lot of our um, play was dictated through his his little sort of twinkly toes for finding that yard of space in very tight areas. He he looks, you know, he has looked to be on top form over the last couple of games, and it was great to see him continuing on that form again today. You know, there were there were definitely a, a few other shout outs for. Um, it was great to see Koscielny back, for example. I thought he was Mertesacker was. There was that one moment uh, where was it just before they scored that defending header. Um, when Carroll was coming in at the back post and looked certain to score, which was fantastic. Um, he didn't look um, 
he didn't look the all-encompassing centre back or the, the sort of the um, the potent centre back we've seen in in the past as such. But he, he certainly looked a lot more comfortable and a lot better alongside Koscielny. So I think that was one of the most promising things to see. And certainly a shout out for Coquelin, who I think we were all a little surprised to see in the lineup. And um, you put it put in a very good shift. Yeah, I think right now, uh, if you're listening to this at home, you need to insert some kind of cock uh, pun and then just pretend we're making that pun for the rest of the podcast so we don't have to do it. I, I feel like there's a compulsory cock pun that is required when you discuss Cochlin, but I, I don't have the energy right now to do it. So we're just going to leave that. That's going to be the participate at home portion of this podcast. Um Paul, you know, I, I have to agree. I think Santi, Santi was pretty excellent today. You know, it is interesting to me. I think since Jack Wilshire's gone out of the side, we've seen a resurgence in Casorla, and I think it's gone a little bit under the radar, but overall I think he's trending back towards the kind of kind of uh, uh, form that led him to be our player this season two seasons ago. But other than Casorla, anyone stand out for you? I mean, personally, I think a lot of credit is, is due to Chesney, who... I think commanded the area really well, made the, the stops when he needed to, just put in a, a, an assured performance that must have given the, the the central defenders that confidence on set pieces to know that he'd be there when, when he was needed. Um, anyone else, though, stand out for you as, as a man of the match? Yeah, I, I mean, Chesney was very front-footed in terms of goalkeeping, as you say, highly proactive, and you you match that up with Koscielny and with Coquelin from the back and, uh, you know, the, all the defenders across the way, but those three really kind of set the pace for, um, and to come back to a, a point you made a little earlier in terms of what, you, you know, what was different about this match, when you compare it to the Stoke game, where, again, we were up against a physical team who decided to come at us, uh, you know, you can remember Arson complaining about how we were kind of second every ball, lost every tackle, weren't up for the challenges in the air. And this was the counterpoint to that Stoke game. You know, one, uh, of course, the huge difference is going a goal up versus going a goal down. And there was a little bit of luck involved in this game, which I'm sure we'll come to. But overall, if you just look at it in terms of our energy, we were, you know, completely different approach, completely different mindset, far more proactive and, you know, those players from a defensive standpoint set the tone. And then up front, you had uh, Chamberlain well in form. Um, Sanchez, of course. Uh, Santi was great. My man of the match, too. Um, but Cazorla, not just his go forward play, but his ability to hold on to the ball over the last two or three games, I think, has been really big for us. Mm-hmm. L- l- let me ask you something, Paul. So... You know, I watched this game, and, and before it kicked off, my concern was in Flamini and, and Coughlin, you have two shielding players who are not particularly technical or effective at uh, cycling the ball, you know, receiving the ball at feet and distributing. And so I worried, you know, what our possession game would be like and and how, you know, what the dynamic would be in midfield with those two players because neither one, I think, is particularly proficient at maintaining possession what I thought was very interesting is West Ham rested Alex Song and, and I think Sacco against Chelsea with a clear eye towards this game. And I think Allardyce and, and West Ham fancied their chances in this game. I, I think that's what you'd say, that they kind of had a feeling they could come at us, they could cause us problems, and they could win this match. 
And in a way, I think there's a possibility that it played into our hands. Do you think to some extent the fact that West Ham did come at us, did try to play the football, did try to play on the front foot, benefited us today because, you know, we had basically a back six in a way, right? You had Coughlin and Flamini shielding the back four or back seven, if you want to include Chesney. And then when they came at us, when we did get the ball, we were able to just get it up the pitch quickly to uh, Kazorla, Oxlade, Chamberlain, Alexis, Welbeck, you know, and, and try to run at them at pace and, and cause them problems. Because I think if West Ham had sat a little deeper, I don't know that we could have troubled them or possessed the ball particularly effectively with that midfield. But they solved that problem for us by really playing on the front foot and letting us play a more counterattacking style. Do you, do you think that this lineup worked to the extent that it did work in part because West Ham kind of fancied their chances and 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 tried to play the football more than than maybe Allardyce sides have against us in the past? Well, I think that's really well framed, and I think it is right. What they wanted to do against us was probably what we needed on the day, especially given that you know there were some tired legs across our the ten men who played against uh, QPR. Um, so our ability to sit back and be compact, um, but you know, that hasn't been our hallmark necessarily always in the past, but it forced us into that role. On the other hand, we were very proactive in doing it and our front four have a real understanding on the counter now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, they don't always make the perfect runs for each other, but they're starting to really sink, uh, you know, as they zigzag and cross each other with Cazorla taking it from deep. I mean, he's such a beautiful counter-attacking player. Um, that, But I think your point holds, which was uh, obviously West Ham fancied this game today. And, you know, you could say, if we had lots of options on the bench, you could you could say, ha-ha, all you people who said Wenger wasn't tactical, look how he set up against them. But in a way, uh, the whole situation forced our hands and it was a tactical approach, but we didn't have a lot of options. Yeah. Uh, and our tactics worked really well. But had we not got that first goal, um, you know, it could have been a whole different game. No, that, I, I certainly think that's true. And, and James, I mean, um, you know, it's interesting. Giroud has been terrible away from home by and large, I think. And, I, you know, I think people have overstated this renaissance in his play since he's been back from injury. I, I think he's done some things well, but, you know, he... <laughs> He gave away the goal against Liverpool, um, you know, with that back the, the back flick to no one. He cost us massively with the stupid red card against QPR. But I thought it was interesting because I assume if he had been fit, he would have been a natural first choice today. You know, we didn't generate anything on the counterattack with him on the pitch against Liverpool. And today I thought we were much more effective counterattacking. Do you think Giroud's red card against QPR unintentionally kind of helped us today, again, with the fact that West Ham came at us, we counterattacked them, and we kind of wound up by default having the right personnel on the pitch to soak up some pressure and counterattack. I mean, do you think some of that is down to Giroud not being in there? Do you think West Ham's approach to this game ultimately played into our hands with, with the lineup that we had? Um, perhaps somewhat. I mean, it's very difficult to for us to guess, sitting on the couch, how exactly we would have shaped up had Giroud been around and... Um, with him in the lineup, whether the performance would have been all that different. Um, well, I mean, not... do, you, do you think we could assume that Cazorla would have moved back into midfield and we would have had 
Chamberlain, Flamini, and Cazorla and not had the two shielding players in Coughlin and, and Flamini? Perhaps. I mean, we could still have played Chamberlain in the middle with Podolsky or, or, or Walcott out, out, out wide. I mean, I don't think we were completely coerced into, into Coughlin and, and Flamini being put Fair into the center of the midfield. Um, although I do agree that the options were, were limited. I mean, I don't, I don't buy into the fact that Giro has been terrible away from home. I don't think he's actually had particularly many away uh, fixtures this season at all. I mean, I, I can think of the Everton game where he came off the bench and scored. Um, even in the Liverpool game, I mean, the one positive that we did draw was um, Giroud finally coming up in a big game and, and finishing what could have proved to be a particularly incisive goal. Um, and certainly was decisive in getting us a point and could and, could and should have certainly been three. But that aside, I, what I do agree with is that with him out of the side, it meant that we had a front th- three that was full of pace, full of energy. Um, Alex, as Paul mentioned, was um, was in particularly good nick. And, uh, you know, that assist for the goal in particular, and, and there were various runs he made in drives, uh, dribbling past a couple of men and, and creating that, that space on the counter, which played very much into our hands. Um, you know, that being said, going back onto your former point of whether the way in which West Ham set up played into into the way that, you know, the, the lineup that we had out going out into Upton Park. I think you could also somewhat rephrase that and say, well, given the knowledge that Song and Saka had been um, rested against Chelsea and given the kind of confidence and swagger that Big Sam, if, if, we, if we call him that, um, <laughs> Um, seemed to have going into this game it seemed pretty clear on, for most spectators and I imagine Arsenal etc that West Ham were going to really come at us in this game and I think there, there, there's certainly strong arguments we made that we actually set ourselves up in you know the way the way in which we set ourselves up given given that was um, was something that we certainly need to give Wenger credit to and I you know you, you can go both ways can't it because from a West Ham's point of view you can say well Given given the setup that we had, perhaps we they should have approached the game slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure, if you want to take what I would deem a slightly pessimistic look on that, then perhaps West Ham did play into our hands as such. But I think also there's you know there, there's the you can um, flip the coin and and perhaps you know uh, commend the manager for what was in some regards a, a slightly different different tactical uh, change perhaps given the limited options and, and seems to work quite well uh, given the final whistle. No, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I want to get to the, the the quality of the performance in a moment. And I think there, there were very different performances first and second half. Um, but first, just really quickly, early in the game it could have been very different, but Alex Song uh, hit a ball better than I think I've ever seen him hit a ball, uh, scored a goal that I didn't realize had been disallowed until – probably long after because I was feverishly tweeting that everyone knew that was going to happen and then it hadn't happened. Um, but not that we need to dive into this particularly uh, in depth, but I'll just get your quick take on it. James, I mean, I, I think it was the correct call, albeit a call that often you do not get. Um, I assume you also agree that it was the correct call. Were you a little surprised to see it? Yeah, I mean, I guess by the letter of the law – the was it two West Ham players did sort of um, interfere with Chesney's line of sight. Um, I was very surprised by the call because 
one thing's for certain is I don't think had those two players not been there that Chesney was getting was getting to that was getting even close to that um, impeded or not and it certainly see it you know especially given the poor officiating that we we tend to see in the Premier League um, and that was definitely one of the tougher calls it's something that I certainly was not expecting to be called and I I, I too even though I wasn't feverishly tweeting away it took me a couple of minutes to realize what had just taken place yeah yeah um, I was certainly surprised to see the call, but I think it was right. I mean, Paul, do you? Let me ask you this really quickly: Do you think the linesman made that call because he thought it might have taken a touch off one of those West Ham players, or do you think he made that call because he felt they were obstructing the goalkeeper's vision, thereby making them active? Um, I was wondering this. I don't think he can see that it goes through the guy's legs confidently enough. I think it's one of those things where he sees a clump of three players right in front of Chesney and he's assuming somewhere between blocking his sight or maybe getting a deflection that that's just too much to ignore. And, you know, that that was a, a minor posse in front of Chesney that were mm-hmm. offside that the ball traveled through. Um, but, you know, I, I do have sympathy for Allardyce on that one. Not not in an emotional feeling bad for him, but just from a from the standpoint of consistency between games, it's it, you know we haven't been hard done by by the referees in the last two games. I know we love to have the victim card with referees, and certainly I feel that way often enough. But uh, you know the the penalty shout not called against Gibbs um, in the last game, mm-hmm. uh, and this this particular. Yeah, mm-hmm. against Zamora. Um, now, you can debate it either way, but, you know, our victim complex would say that would be given against us. And like you, I thought the song goal was a goal because it went on so long before they said, oh, hang on a second, that one might not have been given. I felt like they practically kicked the ball off at that stage, and uh, but it was mainly a coverage blip. Yeah. I, um, so I, I, I was astounded, I must say. You, you know what I would say? I would say this. I think we've been getting a lot of small calls going against us that are wrong. But I think the major decisions in matches recently have gone our way um, for the most part. Well, uh, let's not overlook the fact that, you know, the Debussy challenge um, was it against Hoylet in the QPR game clearly got the ball. And at that stage of the game, the, the Gibbs challenge of Zaboro would have been a non-issue. No, I, I, so I, I'd like to argue with that in the clearly got the ball because I watched it from three angles afterwards and he may have got the ball, but depending on where you stood, that A, it was a dodgy looking tackle that if you hang your leg out like that, you'll get hurt. And B, he may have got the ball, but from at least two angles, it looked like he didn't. So that was a really dangerous tackle. I thought it was a penalty at the time. After the fact, probably not. But you know, I, I wasn't and, and again, in the least bit shocked that was a penalty. It's well, a game. You know, I'll, I'll have you know, Paul, that I saw it from four different angles, and <laughs> I thought he clearly got the ball, but no, sorry, continue. I no, I was just going to make the point that, again, I, you know, you can debate it, but ultimately there have been some big calls that have gone for us in, in games lately where, you know, if we were really being victimized, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think any of our results lately have been determined by the referees negatively against us is the best way I can put it. 
You know, the That'd games we've lost, like Stoke, for example, we went out and we lost that all on, all on our own, you know. <laughs> um, and, you know, the other games, maybe we you, QPR and, got. And the Liverpool, yeah, the, the Liverpool draw, you know, whatever about the officiating, again, it wasn't Liverpool that caused us that result. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's move on, though. I, I want to ask you guys a general question first half of the West Ham game. Um, you know, we went into the in the halftime 2-0 up. Um, on the balance of play, I think, you know, it's always tough, right? Because sometimes a team can have 60% possession but get played off the park. We've had that happen to us plenty of times where we've had sterile domination and, and been hit on counterattacks. Do you think we were fortunate to go into halftime 2-0 up? I guess uh, the question I want to ask, James, is did we play well in the first half? Because, frankly, I... And we'll get to the second half, but frankly, I thought we were actually pretty poor in the first half, um, and maybe rode our luck more in the first half than the second half. Did you think it was a good, committed, organized performance? Or do you think we just kind of rode our luck a bit and and got fortunate to be up two 0 at halftime? Well, we had this this slight discussion at halftime over Twitter, um, and I think my thoughts on the matter are this: going into this game. Um, especially given the general sentiment towards the side at the moment, at Upton Park against a West Ham side that are really going to come at you, I think the definition of what constitutes a good performance is somewhat different to, say, a home game against your average sort of mid-table side. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, I actually thought it was, I thought it was a particularly good performance. I, I, well, despite the number of chances we created in the second half, I thought it was a better performance in the first half than the second just in in the way in which the game played out, because first of all, I think we can all, we, most of us would agree at least that we weren't expecting to get much from this game. I was certainly of the opinion that we dropped two, at least two points. Um, I'm sure Elliot, you were you were of the opinion that we dropped three. I thought we'd drop four or five. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought one of the pro- most, you know we soaked up a lot of pressure in that first half. We were, I wouldn't say we were defensively sound, but we. We, we managed to soak a, a significant number of waves of um, attacking pressure from the West Ham side. And I think if you look back at that first half, aside from the disallowed song goal, I don't think you can really point towards many clear-cut chances that West Ham were able to fashion out for themselves and create for themselves. Um, and one of the most important aspects of that first half, and the reason why I think it was actually a better half than the second, was we was, well, when it counted, we were so incisive in the sense that we... We ourselves, we, we didn't even we, we created we didn't even create any half chances. We hardly um, had much possession in in West Ham's half for the most part. But when we did, um, we created two. You know, we we won the penalty and, and uh, through Arks and Welbeck, we managed to score with our first shot on target. Um, so we made it count when we when we needed to. And I think that was a true sign of not so much necessary resilience, but I think that's a very good quality in a side. Something that we really haven't seen from this Arsenal side. And I guess. You could somewhat point to that in the Liverpool game, but that was in a very different fashion because we were just generally supremely poor. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas we were able to build a very strong foundation for ourselves from the back and from the midfield with Flamini and Coquelin there. Um, and then compounding that with with, with, the t- with, with scoring the two goals uh, with the two opportunities, well, I guess, and the, penalty, well, the penalty and the opportunity that we created for ourselves um, really put us into good shape and allowed us to win that game in the second half. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a pretty good appraisal. I mean, Paul, um, 
would you would you say that the story of the first half was not so much the two goals, but a much more committed, energetic, organized, compact defensive effort? And if that's the story of the first half, what do you attribute that to? Is it entirely down to Koscielny being back? Is it fullbacks playing in natural fullback positions and center backs playing natural center back position? Was it having two shielding midfielders? Was it all of those things? Was it something that my tiny brain can't comprehend? What was the story of the first half, the organized energetic defending? And if so, what do you attribute it to? Yes, yes, yes. And yes. And Chesney. Hopefully the, the uh, last but... yes wasn't about the small size of my brain, but okay. No, it was okay, not. Thank you. Um, we had an organized back four for a change, but it was it was very it was all very front footed across the team. Uh, the other, and I agree with your analysis of the first half. I mean, it could have gone either way. Um, you know, we had maybe one or two good counter attacks during the first half, but really, it looked set up for them to get a goal through a, a cross and a header or a corner and a header. Um, you know, we got lucky with the song goal, you could argue, or compared to what would have happened to us, you know, three, four, five games ago. Um, so I just think there was much, much more fight in there, much more commitment. We were winning headers against Carroll. We knew what the battle was. I think we learned our lessons from Stoke not to come out flat footed, but that was a very different back four against Stoke. They didn't have that level of of confidence to attack Stoke like they do when uh, Koscielny's in place and Per knows he's got Koscielny beside him. Debushi's good on his headers, but not necessarily in the six-yard box against uh, a Coyote mm-hmm. um, or a Carroll. That's when you remember he's five foot eight, uh, especially when somebody's leaning on him and he can't get off the ground. So um, I, I really think... Our energy in the first half is what earned us at least a draw at halftime. And our chances, we may have had fewer chances, but we've seen that so often against us that the counter-attacking team has fewer chances, but they're far, far, far better chances. And I think that was the story, particularly in the second half. Our chances were more deadly. Yeah, I mean, that that's certainly the first half story summed up. But the second half was a very different story in a lot of ways. And... and this is where I think there's room for a lot of praise, but also room for some uh, analysis and, and maybe even some good old-fashioned criticism, which, you know, gets my blood pumping. Um, so let's, let's dive into the second half. Um, this is a game we could have made a lot more comfortable if we had finished chances, and I thought we did some particularly impressive counterattacking. I thought we created some particularly impressive... Uh, openings. I thought Alexis Sanchez was his typically determined and hardworking self and actually prized open a few opportunities. But ultimately, we weren't able to take any of them. And everyone was guilty of profligacy from Oxley Chamberlain to Alexis to very particularly uh, Danny Welbeck at one point. You know, this is becoming a bit of an issue, I think, is where the goals are going to come from for us and, and, you know, finishing and who... You know, being able to, to depend on our, our players to be clinical in front of goal. I mean, I thought Cazorla, maybe it's a little hard on him, but he had a shot from the edge of the box that was well saved, but I thought he could have placed it a little better. The the Their keeper certainly was playing a blinder at times. But, James, are you at all concerned with the lack of finishing, the lack of uh, 
ability to put away the chances in the second half. And in particular, I know he got a goal, but are you, are you worried at all about Welbeck, who arrived at the club with sort of, a, I think, a cloud over his finishing in general and maybe is reverting to type a little bit, spurning a few too many chances in front of goal now? A little bit. Um, I think the thing with Danny is, as with as comes with most new signings, is there's a little hype that surround that sort of surrounds a player that doesn't necessarily um, combine with the past history of, of of what he's actually produced at United. And mm-hmm. so for me, especially given that one of my closest friends is is a United fan and we tend to talk football a lot, I was I've always been of the opinion that. What Welbeck adds to the team is that physicality, that pace, that uh, industrious work ethic, and that very much that sort of team committed performance with um, a few goals here and there, and, and can certainly cause defenders issues from both his, you know, his heading, his highest physicality, and and to a certain degree, um, you know, his pace and his finishing. But the one the one area he does lack is is being that consistent, cool headed um, killer, so to speak. Um, and I'm not sure if that's something that can maybe still come with with age and experience and being around someone like Arson, who's coached many a great in that regard. Um, but yes, it, 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 that is a slight worry because you don't you don't really feel that in big games and in big moments that aside from Alexis, there aren't many players that you'd really um, you know bet your house on 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 scoring a decisive goal or uh, you know scoring a goal in an extremely important moment of the game. Which is why it was quite promising to see Giroud finally put put one of those away against Liverpool, um, and I think that kind of runs through to Alex Oxley Chamberlain. That as good as he's been this season, the one thing he has been lacking has been goals. Um, Santi has been picking up a few more uh, in recent times. Yeah, that fantastic finish against Newcastle, but still one of the areas of his game is that, given how technically gifted he is, you still do wonder that perhaps his shooting could perhaps be slightly more accurate. Um, and should perhaps be finding the back of the net a little bit more than it does. Then again, you compare that with past seasons, and there's now a lot more players in the side in the side that can grab goals, um, especially given the kind of the player, players such as Aaron that aren't in the side. Um, so yes, there's there's, there's reason for um, a little caution, but at the same time, I think given the diversity of options we have going forward, there's also um, reason to, to believe that when the side is confident that there's, there's, there's plenty of goals to be shared amongst them. Yeah, and, and you'd have to think, obviously, as you said, with players coming back, um, there'll be more goal-scoring options in the side, uh, more players who can come in and possibly you know finish those chances. I mean, Theo Walcott is right. among the most clinical finishers at the club. Um, you know, Paul, I think... One of my concerns in this game was towards the end, after they had clawed a goal back, Arson defaulted to the uh, play all the defenders method. The uh, bring on Callum Chambers, bring on Kieran Gibbs, see the game out. Um, my question for you is, did, did you think, I mean, obviously it's borne out by the result that it worked. So I, I'm not being critical of it. I'm more asking what your opinion in the moment was. And, and ultimately, you know, I do know it paid off, but I was kind of hoping he would bring on a Theo Walcott or someone to keep stretching them to try to continue to give us the opportunity to create these chances because they were coming so frequently. And at one point in the second half, we looked a much more likely team to score th- the next goal. Um, 
And it, it, there was a time when I was really worried that that was what it was going to take, that we're going to need a third to, to keep the three points. Would you have liked to have seen Arson, or at the time did you want to see Arson keep the impetus on our side by you know, maybe swapping out a, a Cazorla for a Walcott or a Welbeck for a Walcott instead of going with Chambers and Gibbs? Or are you fine with the strategy when we're trying to close up a game late of just committing all all hands to the pump defensively? I think it's generally worked for us uh, over the the games and over the last two seasons where we've seen it a lot. I think today in particular, because it was just going to be a tired day and one of four games, that just digging in mm. uh, probably made some sense, uh, given the lack of options and given that this isn't... I mean, uh, Wenger has hinted how he wants to bring Walcott into the game, and it's not in one in which we're desperately hanging on to a lead. Um, so I was fine with it. And when you look look around the results today in the league you know we talked to to your point on goal scoring and where the goal is coming from i think that's a very valid point but again i group this with the not one to worry about today in particular there were very very few goals today yeah um, apart from the city game but that wasn't a good story and the everton uh the everton newcastle, newcastle. game yep. which which was kind of a sloppy kind of a game uh, you know, I, I expected today to be a 1-1, to be honest. I mean, I was a little bit optimistic, but I could also see us losing. And I kind of thought today wouldn't be a game we'd be very happy about. We'd look tired. We'd look, look, uh, you know, off the pace a little bit, a bit of a hangover. And we were the opposite of all of that. So, you know, I think it's one of those days where you say, hey, uh, can't, re can't question the result, can't question the performance really and the energy can't question our look can't question the referee yeah you know it kind of all fell our way i do i do think you made two good debate points but probably not today to judge them i think i think arson got it right today fair enough and, and you know yeah go ahead sorry well you know what all things considered it was a fucking good game of football yeah i mean that 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 yeah. bastard neutral they always talk about the neutral must have loved this i mean <laughs> my my wife sat through this she usually doesn't like to because the nervous energy coming off me is enough to give someone heart palpitations but she uh she really enjoyed it as a spectacle which i think says everything um it was it was a cracking game of football, and I think both teams really went at it, and we were the better team on the day. I mean, in the end, uh, I think Walcott may have gotten in the game if it had stayed 2-0 a little longer. I think the game was starting to mm -hmm. get stretched, and I think we were going to see Theo come in, you know, possibly to replace um, a, an Alexis or, or a Welbeck. In the end, he did not come in. Uh, James, you know, what, what do we make of, of the Theo Walcott situation now? I mean, until he comes in and gets some minutes, I don't know that he'd be in line to start. He is such an important player for us when he's on form. You know, I mean, were you disappointed, obviously, that he didn't get in today? And, and when, if ever, can we start integrating Theo back into the side? Because, you know, when we talk about not being clinical in front of goal, there's, there's a player who changes the way teams have to defend against us, but also tends to finish chances when they come to him. I'm disappointed from a selfish point of view because I love to watch him play. Me too, yep. I think in some ways, especially with the benefit of hindsight, given especially in the last two games that we've come away with the needed three points, that I'm actually quite glad that he hasn't actually been thrown into, um, thrown into the games in these, you know, in these last few matches for the 
main reason being that given the long layoff he's had and given the number of injuries we've had, thank God he hasn't had to be rushed back into the side. At least we can be pretty certain that once he does get on the field that he's been given the adequate rest or the adequate amount of time for him to really you know, get his fitness up to speed, get his legs and all his niggles and everything to a certain degree as good as we can hope for before he actually um, st- starts playing a few minutes and starts playing the full 90. And I think also given the hectic period we have, Wenger is able to point towards the whole game on the fourth as a definite game in which he can pen Walcott in as, as probably starting. So from his point of view, once again, as Paul mentioned, it seems like the only, t- the only time he'd really be willing to bring Walcott in with, with, is with at least a two-goal cushion. Um, in one in which the game opens up naturally more because you've got um, the opposition side desperately trying to you know bag at least two goals, um, and there's there's that there's that slight e- you know there, there's there's a little less pressure closing out a game in 20 minutes with, with two you know obviously with um, having a two goal cushion over, over a one um, in the sense that you you're not having that sort of perhaps consistent bombardment where just loading up the you, your own penalty box with as many defenders as you can, which is seems to be Wenger's tactics um, for the last ten minutes these days, um, is perhaps the way uh, is perhaps the way forward. So I think, yeah, I, I doubt we'll see him against Southampton purely because I can't see him starting, and I just don't see that being a game in which we're we're going to be taking uh, a, a comfortable lead going into the last twenty minutes of the game. Um, but you know, Hull is a week from today, and hopefully that will be at, you know at the Emirates he will be able to get. A starting berth and show us what he's got after the what is it at least about a year now out of the game. It'll it'll be almost a, almost exactly a year because I think his last game, full game, where he left with the injury was this round of the FA Cup against Spurs. So, um, would be a great chance to reintroduce him. Um, Paul, anything to add on that about Theo? I mean, selfishly, I think we all wanted to see him. Do you think maybe was planning to come on at two nil as the game got stretched and then the the goal changed the manager's mind? I think that's right. I think you guys covered it well. The one thing that does strike me about Theo is he's gone from the player that no two Arsenal supporters could agree on <laughs> to the player that every Arsenal supporter agrees on. Yeah. That, you know, he's now... It's the Diaby syndrome. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I do think it's earned, and he earned it before he left us, but perhaps his time off has only put a kind of little halo around him. You know, he's still going to be Walcott and he's still going to be uh, frustrating for Lars. I'm just warning anybody listening here. You know, I'm a longtime Theo lover, but he's going to frustrate you for a lot of the game because he's not going to be as tidy with the ball or as as busy maybe uh, all over the pitch as uh, our three current starters. The difference for Uh, Theo now, though, Paul, and I think this is one reason I'm really excited to see him. I mean, teams had a way of marking Theo out of a game. Alexis Mm. Sanchez, with his ability to dribble, commands so much attention. I think it's going to free up some spaces for Theo he never had before Sanchez was there. And I think, you know, when when you, especially when you get an Ozil back, who, who can pick that pass, and so they have to watch the space in behind, but then you have a Sanchez who can beat two guys off the dribble. Suddenly we have we have complementary options. You know, I think the pieces start to fit together really well. Um, yeah, I think that I think that's a great point. 
and kind of maybe the counterpoint of the, or the other side of the coin with that was, I mean, I wrote a piece. I know plenty of other people talked about it and, and wrote bits on it. But the Theo-shaped hole, the way the whole team kind of drifted up into the right-hand corner in, in terms mm-hmm. of any heat maps, everything, when we had Sanya behind him, everything seemed to go up that right wing. And now, as you say, it's going to be very interesting to see it. And I can't wait to see it, given the options, given the fluidity you have with the uh, hopefully the other whoever the other two players on that front line are Sanchez and Giro or whoever. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what the shape of that uh, attack looks like. I mean, Theo can be pretty deadly from the left wing. He can be very Henri-like uh, in his finishing coming from the left wing too. So it's going to be very interesting. I mean, it's going to have to, he's, to be on that field, he's going to have to maybe push uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain off the field or into midfield. He's going to have to push well back out. So it could be a while before, you know, Theo is back to being the automatic, you know, he, there was a stage he was pretty close to the first guy on that, uh, on the 11 that was being sent out. So. I assure you, Paul, injuries will sort out any selection problem we might have. Indeed. So I want to f- wrap up with t- two quick questions. One is um, looking forward towards Southampton. But before we do that, I have this West Ham game as our best and most important victory of the season. Um, I throw out the Dortmund game because it was sort of a dead rubber in some ways. Besiktas obviously is maybe the most significant, but let's – Let's rule that out to some extent too, just level of competition and the expectation we have of, of getting through that, that qualifier because we always have. Um, is this our best and most important victory of the game? Is, is this our first signature victory of the season, Paul? Um, you surprised me with that. Um, but, you know, I, I think we've had better performances, but not against teams who brought their A game. Mm-hmm. And the only sense in which this wasn't West Ham's A game was one or two of their chances didn't go in. Uh, but we won, overall, if you look at the energy of the game, I think we we won this game fair and square. We had luck early on in that we got the first goal. You can call it luck or you can call it the kind of the rub of the green or whatever, uh, which definitely impacts the, the narrative of the story. But, uh, you know, we were the better team. And West Ham have given all sorts of teams really good problems. They're well up that table, top four team, apparently. Um, So I think this is a good shout for our best performance against a strong team playing their A game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an away win against a team above us in the table. Um, Yep. And, and, uh, you know, I I think when you look at it, look, we lost, we, we lost, we failed to beat, Everton, Spurs, City, Chelsea, United, and Liverpool. Um, we did beat Southampton at home. We also lost to them in the Cup. I, I mean, I don't know that we have a league win that, that's more important than this. Also, because if you lose this game and, you know, with, with Southampton picking up some points against Chelsea, if West Ham beats you here and, you know, you could have gained ground on Liverpool and United and... Um, uh, you know, and, and Spurs, and and you don't, suddenly you start to look at top four and you say, we, we just can't get any momentum going. But you win today, you move past West Ham, you get closer to Southampton, you gain ground on all the other top four rivals, plus you even nudge a little closer to the top, um, especially heading into another difficult away game. 
I just don't know that we've had a bigger result in a critical spot than this. I mean, what about you, James? I mean, do is this our most significant and impressive result of the season? I think so, yes. Um, I think it's. I actually think it's definitely our best performance, purely mostly because of the opposition we faced away from home, given the form that they've had at Upton, Upton Park. It was their first loss in eight or nine games at Upton Park this season. Um, and frankly, obviously you prefer a, you know, a 4-0 drubbing, a, a sort of, I guess, you know, Galactica-esque performance given the run that they're on. But that's, that's unreasonable to expect, um, especially in the context of the recent performances that this Arsenal side have been putting in. Um, you know, from back to front, from the goalkeeper's performance, you know, commanding his box, the defensive solidarity, um, the play from the midfield, the counter-attacking from um, Prowess from our forward, from our pacey forwards. I think it was an excellent display. It was a, it was a, it was a very dogged performance and and an, a, a thoroughly vital win, especially given a the results. I don't think anyone in the top seven, aside from us, um, got three points today. So you know we, we've we've climbed on everyone, um, and thrown in amongst the, the hectic, um, festive schedule following a, a, a one-day rest against QPR. I think it's, um, and the amount of energy and the commitment that we were able to show with those things considered was, was fantastic to see, and it could only but give us confidence going into Southampton and, and, and the future games ahead. And I think, it, it, I, I don't know the record exactly, but over the last, was it seven or so games, we've we've now... You know, we, we've now already beaten and won. Um, so we're somewhat, we're, you know, performances aside, we're starting to show some levels of consistency. And it, there, there's now there are to a certain degree signs of of there being something there, which is certainly promising. Right. Yeah. No, I I think that about sums it up. So I I want to I want to wrap up with a quick look ahead to Southampton. I don't want to cover the whole game. I don't want to get into it in too much detail. I want to ask a very specific question. I will make the point very quickly that. Uh, Schneiderlin got himself stupidly sent off today against Chelsea. Um, and they have just been a totally different side without Schneiderlin. And I think that's a huge, huge boon for us um, facing them. If you want to be a conspiracy theorist, I mean, he looked like he almost meant it. You know, he's had niggling injuries. He Now he gets himself a dumb red card. I mean, he's a player that a lot of people have their eyes on, and he would be a prize, prize addition in January. Not that I think they'll sell, but here's what I want to do with this final question. Looking ahead to Southampton and looking ahead even further to just how we play in general, one of the most interesting things to me about this game today is that Francis Coughlin is not a good football player, okay? He is not the future at Arsenal, and he doesn't have a future at Arsenal. Having said that, he did a reasonable job for us today, and Matthew Flamini is not any good, and Francis Coughlin is not any good. But together, we had two players who will sit, who will try to tackle, who will try to shield the back four. And if they get the ball, they don't want it anywhere near them. They're gonna they're gonna get rid of it. And then you got the skill, you know, the more technical players who can do things with it going forward. Um, Oxley Chamberlain really isn't a guy who understands defending and tackling. Neither is Santi Cazorla. Neither is Jack Wilshire. Realistically, neither is Aaron Ramsey. I mean, he can do it because he has an excellent engine, but I, I think he gets more credit for his tackling and his defending than, than is deserved. I don't think it's his natural, his natural ability. Until we have a better 
defensive-minded midfielder who's energetic and athletic and can do what a Matic does at Chelsea or, or indeed a Schneiderland or, and Wanyama do for Southampton, although they really have two of them. Is this the way forward in the short term for Arsenal, Paul? Do do we stick with Coughlin and, and Flamini and say, you know what? Until we have one guy who can do this, we need two mediocre guys doing that and giving that platform then for the more technical, skillful players to try to pick their their spot to attack and play less with the ball, you know, play more without the ball and, and be more compact defensively. As, as limited as Coughlin and Flamini are, until we have a better player in that defensive midfield role is the way forward, particularly against Southampton, for example, is the way forward to shielding midfielders like Coughlin and Flamini. Well, I I like watching us, and, and this has happened earlier in the season, I like watching us when we have two pivots at the back. I mean, we've done it with Arteta and Flamini, and yes, Arteta is a more skilled player than either Flamini or, or Coquelin, but it's still a pretty defensive lineup, and we end up being a very attacking team. So I don't dislike two defensive, the, the two in the 4-2-3-1 being relatively defensive or relatively deep positions. It gives the front four license to go and do their stuff. Uh, makes us a little bit more counterattacking. So personally, I enjoy it every time it happens. We feel less vulnerable and we feel maybe more lethal on the attack. I don't know. We Certainly, we've got lots of attacking chances today. We, we may not always get more shots on goal, but the opportunities we get are going to be those more lethal on the break kinds of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, I, what do I think will happen against Southampton? I think we'll probably revert to our general approach, which is to play the best football we can, uh, maybe bring Rosicki back in um, and see. I don't know. So who else is coming back in, either you guys? It, it sounded from Arson that that this was still pretty much it, that we're not really expecting anybody else to join the first 11 quite yet. So, no, I you know, mean, if you're only at... Yeah. I was just going to say, I don't think there's any major additions. I think, you know, could Walcott start? Arguably, he could. I mean, if Rosicki is over his his groin-related issues, maybe. But I think this is basically it. I think Rosicki is the only person that could could perhaps be be in the first-team lineup that wasn't in today. But the interesting thing that Wenger said was that the squad won't be changed at all for the Southampton game. Well, that was certainly the indication. The the squad or the starting 11? The squad. Okay. So is Rosicki? Well, that, that that was what was up in the air for me. It was his yeah. his his quotes on Rosicki sounded as though he was merely being rested because of a slight groin niggle. But we know what these slight niggles tend to be like for Arsenal players. But um, whether or not he's available for Southampton is, I guess, we'll find out very shortly. So I think if Rosicki's fully fit, we'll probably go back to our more attacking selves. Otherwise, uh, we might see more of the same. Another helping. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me. And again, this is not me. I, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, I, I like to layer on the sarcasm and cynicism a little thick. I, you know, I'm not the miserable bastard that I may appear. But, you know, I, there's a reason that Francis Cochran was playing in the championship and and not tearing up, you know, pulling up trees there. I don't think he is the future at Arsenal, and Matthew Flamini clearly is not the future at Arsenal. But again, I mean, 
James, there's something to be said for having two players in the midfield who will sit and tackle and hold and and know that's all they're capable of doing and all they're going to do when you don't have one player who can do that effectively, you know, and energetically and athletically and and with real flair, then maybe having two doing the job of one and, and relying on the other four players ahead of them is the way to go. I mean, would you stick with the same 11 for Southampton? And do you think that this style of play, especially away from home, may be the, the key to, you know, uh, finding a little bit of, of consistency? Yes, perhaps, um, given the pace and the counterattacking qualities that this side have. Um, I very much like the idea, in theory, of having these two pivot players. Um, but as you point out, the issue herein lies with the fact that those two players are Matthew Flamini and Francis Coquelin. And as decent a game as the both of them had today, you do fear that perhaps if the if the back line isn't quite as as on it as they were today, if you know, are, are they are they are they two players that are able to sort of. Uh, counteract for any sort of individual errors that are perhaps made by made by the back four. I think a lot of the solidarity we saw today was mostly um, as a result of just how good the four defenders were um, and the shape, yeah, and to a certain degree, the shape of the team having those two defensive line midfielders. I'd be happier, as I'm sure you know, having Ramsey in alongside Flamini um, with Santi ahead. Given the options we have, I think it's a I think it's a better option than most of us would have assumed going into today's game, um, and I think it does give me more confidence going into an away game such as Southampton. But then perhaps there is an argument also to be made that, given Sch- Schneiderlin's absence, do we maybe want to take the slight initiative, bring in a player like Rosicki, someone who can carry the ball forward with the energy that he has, and maybe trying to take advantage of that from an attacking point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a good conundrum for the manager to have, and I think it will certainly give us as fans and uh, and the manager more faith in in that system if if that's the system we choose to go with. Well, um, on Thursday, I'll put it this way: I think we know how to defend and are able to defend a lot better when we are defending in numbers deep than when we are in the ascendancy in a game and the way we leave ourselves just incredibly exposed to counterattacks. I think there is still something fatally flawed about how we play on the front foot versus how we play when we're slightly under the caution and slightly forced into a defensive shell. These players clearly can defend and know how to defend. We've seen them do it. They did it today. When we attack and have possession, there's something that still seems flawed about the system, and it may just be that we don't have that right defensive midfielder. And so maybe the the key to solving that problem is just an extra man, an extra body, someone who does it naturally. And, and today it was Coughlin. All Agreed. Being, and yeah, go ahead. Just quickly, I think one of our best performances last season was at home to Napoli when we played that Flamini and Artessa. Absolutely. Um, pivot in the midfield. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly a lot to be said for um, playing that system and um, adding that added defensive solidarity into a midfield that is other, otherwise lacking that that big physical 
defensive midfielder that we're all craving, craving. for. Yeah. Ironically, I think some of our best runs of form over the last two or three seasons have been when we've not been as fluent in attack and have gone back to the drawing board a little and, and played a little bit more without the ball and, and counterattacking. We better leave it there. We've gone on uh, long enough, but certainly a pleasure to, to dive deep on, on a big win and a win that I think we're all feeling fantastic about. Um, next up is Southampton on New Year's Day. Uh, if we are all sufficiently surviving our hangovers and you, the listener, are surviving your hangover enough to tolerate us, that will be the next time you hear these dulcet tones and hopefully we'll be discussing another key victory that would move us well into the top four and potentially level with United, depending on how uh, results go. So I think we can safely say the race for back for top four is back on. Um Anyway, we'll leave it there. But once again, uh, as always, we want to thank James, who you can follow and should follow and must follow on Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. James, thanks for being here. Cheers, Elliot. Pleasure as always. The pleasure is as always yours. Um, and uh, uh, once again, wonderful to be with, metaphorically speaking, as I am not physically with him. Uh, but Paul, you can follow him on Twitter at Poznan in my pants. Uh, Paul, a pleasure as always. Woohoo! There it is, the signature woohoo. And of course, James, I am kidding. The pleasure is mine, certainly not yours by any stretch of the imagination. My name, once again, is Elliot Smith, and you can follow or unfollow me, uh, depending on your opinion, uh, at Yankee Gunner. Uh, until next time, I wish everybody a very safe and happy new year. Uh, up the arsenal, and we'll talk to you after Southampton. Woohoo!